Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 91 of the Citric Session. I'm your host, Andy Whiteside. I got a got another good group with you, Bill. Bill Sutton's on. Bill, I think you're maybe coming to Charlotte later today, right? I'm leaving after this podcast and heading my headings, um, I guess, south. Yes. Yeah. Well, we look forward to getting you here. I know yesterday was your birthday. Hopefully, you uh, enjoyed that. I did. Very. It was very, uh, very non-eventful um, in the during the day, but I uh, had a nice dinner with my family and gifts and cake. So all the, all the traditional things. It was you know, very it's, nice. it's sad when you get to a point where your birth, not sad, maybe appropriate when you get to the point where your birthday, you want it to be non-eventful. That's, that's a gift, right? Right. And you want it to not be too expensive. Like that's Correct. a gift too, right? Correct. Isn't that funny? That's when you become an adult. That's pretty bad when you're using a gift card for your birthday dinner, but it is what it is. That's so. all right. Long truth. I mean, it's, look, time is the one thing you can't buy more of. It's the one thing you can't, you know, it's, it's worth a fortune. Uh, anyway, you know, all those sayings. Oh yeah. Uh, ben Rogers with us, Ben, and we're going to talk about kids here in a minute. So just hold on to that one. But Ben's with us, uh, SE with Citrix, both healthcare and local here in the Carolinas. Ben, how's it going? Well, first off, happy birthday, Bill, belated, but I'm glad to see you had a good day. And uh, I was talking to another Citrus cohort about birthdays, and he kind of put it perfectly. I got up breathing. It's the small things that matter. Agreed. Yeah, you get you get one birthday, and then the rest of them are just just gravy if you get any of those. So right. Uh, Chris, blessing. Chris is Stringer's on with us from Citrus. Chris, how's it going? Good. Happy birthday, Bill. Thanks for having me, Andy. Much appreciated. So, Chris, so we've known each other for a long time. You had lots of roles. What's your what's your current role at Citrix? Uh, the latest action is focused on uh, product marketing. So, the virtual apps and desktops, our DAS offering, some analytics, some Citrix endpoint management. So, kind of a nice breadth of, of the Citrix solutions these now, days. And and where did you start at Citrix? Like, we don't have to cover all of all the jobs you've had, but what what <laughs> part of Citrix did you start off in? I actually started out in Citrix IT. So I worked for a small uh, company up in the DC area and Citrix purchased them. I was pretty young in those days. So the Citrix IT team brought me in as a consultant to help implement that product back in the day. And I've just stayed. Who knew, right? Who knew people really lived and stayed in Florida for so long? But now I, I actually have to call it home. So, <laughs> yeah. well, there's a bunch of you guys that could say you kind of started somewhere, ended up there, and stayed. And then there's a bunch of people that come and go along the way. I guess I came and went, but my I didn't leave and go too far. That's true. <laughs> so we were before we jump into the content here. Uh, we were having a good little conversation. Mega Chris's. Um, uh, audio was a little delayed and, and she had this look on her face. Next thing you know, she goes, hold on, let me go tell my kids to get off uh, the internet. And then Ben jumped in and started talking about uh, using the firewall to shut down his kids uh, as they moved from device to device. Isn't it funny how some of the enterprise uh, issues of the past and present uh, now show up in your home life? And then you wonder how people who aren't savvy, technically savvy, what what do they do? Mm. That's a scary question right there, Andy, because the kids, like as savvy as I am, I think sometimes my son is one step ahead of me. Like I was telling the crowd, you know, my son got a little smart one day and I didn't want him to use his iPad. And I was like, man, you got to stop. You got to get off of it. There's other things for us to do. And he continued to use it. So I took brute force. I went into my firewall here at the house and I quarantined that device. Well, he got smart and he went to the next device. And so I have the technology that I can see him go from the device to device and I quarantined everything he touched. But 
if I didn't have the ability to do that, you know, one thing that I'm searching for as a parent is I've got, a, I've got some adult uh, policies in my network that will prevent him from getting the, you know, adult content, yada, yada, yada. But I'd like something like a CASB that would allow me to say, okay, I don't mind if he uses YouTube, but I want to restrict things inside of YouTube. And I haven't found that product yet that would allow me to go, here's access to content, but I want to limit where you can go in that content like a CASB could. So I love to sign him up for Citrix Sia, but that's not quite appropriate for my house. But that's the next step in guarding my children from the internet woes is, is looking at some kind of CASB solution. So that's, that's my uh, dilemma here from the Rogers household. You know, I've always thought there was an opportunity to go into like home consulting where you consulted parents that had a, enough, uh, that were affluent enough to pay for someone to teach them basics of what they can do and, and make sure it's all locked down. It's probably a market there. I'm not sure it's worth our time. I don't know that I have any more time, but uh, it's certainly a market there for somebody. Well, guys, I appreciate jumping. Uh, I'm going to share my screen here, Carissa. Um, the blog that you put out uh, a couple weeks ago, maybe. Let's see how far, how long ago has it been? I know I reached out to you a couple weeks ago. Um, the name of it's uh, recapping Citrix Launchpad Cloud. You guys getting all that background noise? Okay. Um, so, Chris, if you could just just help us and our audience even understand what Launchpad, this Launchpad thing from Citrix is. Sure. No, I think um, the Launchpad is obviously a new concept. So we did three of them. We started out with the Cloud Launchpad, and then we moved into security. And then we just last week wrapped up the Launchpad series with the work um, Launchpad event. But I, you know, I give Citrix a lot of credit. We've traditionally done kind of big customer events, right? We've done Synergy in the past. Last year, we, we moved to a virtual session, and we did our um, Citrix Summit series. But overall, what we realized is that people just have a lot of virtual event fatigue. So the goal here was to say, what is what are the big news topics from Citrix? How can we get them out to our customer and partner base? Make sure everybody's aware of all the excitement. Make it a high energy, you know, kind of 30-minute rapid fire. Here's all the different announcements. And then here's all the resources where you can go and, and learn more about them. And it was rapid fire, there's no doubt. But that was kind of the approach this this time around. And the feedback's been overall pretty positive. Yeah, that's, that's, so it's a marketing series concept and you have specific initiatives that you drill down on? Correct, correct. Well, help us understand this, uh, the first one, the very first one, I guess it was the, uh, the cloud launchpad. So the cloud launchpad was really focused on um, bringing together, obviously, a lot of our new offerings and incentives to make it easier for customers to adopt our cloud services and cloud solutions. Uh, so we, we kicked it off with some big announcements around the app delivery and security service. I'm not sure if you want to scroll down there, Andy, and, and highlight that one. Sure. So a couple things that were super cool about this announcement, at least in my opinion. Um, the first one is that it's an intent-driven solution. So this is um, kind of cool because instead of it being something that typically IT might set a bunch of manual policies, like we were talking about all the different details from a, a networking perspective, the idea here with the service is you actually set kind of the goals or the KPIs or the intent, and then that app delivery and security service actually dynamically adjusts 
based on the goals that you're trying to achieve. And then kind of jumping into that second paragraph there, the uh, Citrix Intelligent Traffic Management Technology. So this is um, technology we've had around for a little bit, but bringing it in with the app delivery and security service, the other cool part to that is it actually also helps and says, if I'm having these cloud hosted applications and I need to make sure folks like such as us located all in different locations, what is the best route you know, across the internet to get the individuals to those applications. So it real time analyzes, you can see 10 billion data points and actually figures out the fastest route, how to optimize the applications from hosting locations to make sure um, the individuals are having that, that best experience. So, so that's kind of taking, you know, SD-WAN concepts and app intelligence and analytics and, uh, everything you could possibly know about what you see going back and forth and, and routing that information the best way? Correct. And actually, the other two things to maybe highlight there is um, we're actually op offering it in two ways. One is a Citrix managed, and then one is kind of a self-managed um, offering as well. So a little bit different from how we've done it in the past. Um, and it's actually in public preview today. So it'll GA, the target GA is for uh, early 2022. Um, but already in public preview. And, and Carissa, I want to I go over to Bill and Ben in a second, but this is kind of like the nirvana of this traffic shaping world. And I guess uh, I'll bring it up, the idea that Citrix can see into its ICA protocol and others maybe can't is what kind of gives you guys an, a leg up in a uh, customer that has a traditional Citrix environment. Would that be fair? Agreed on my side. I'll defer to Ben. Ben, Bill, Ben, I'll start with your thoughts on this uh, this service. Oh, I think, oh, I think this, this is going to be. Gonna be... Uh oh, sorry. Gotcha. Go sorry. Hello. Hello. Yeah. Hey, Ben, I'll come back to you. Bill, are you aware of the service? Uh, I I attended the Launchpad event. <clears throat> Excuse me. I did attend attend the Launchpad event, and I found a, found this stuff really interesting. I I'm very interested in seeing how this intent based. Uh, how this looks once it I, that has not been released in in tech preview yet has it or has it Carissa? Uh, you know I, I I'm not sure I'd have to double check I know yeah. it's the option is in public preview but I don't know if the intent based details are there yet. Okay yeah I'm very interested to see what that looks like in terms of how you set things and so forth so uh, very interesting uh, concept uh, and the ITM technology yeah I, I, Andy I think that. Um, I don't know if that is is using the SD-WAN, but certainly Citrix having knowledge and the ability to look into the SCA protocol, I would think would would be a great benefit in making this work uh, the way they they intend for it to work. <clears throat> hey Ben, we'll try you again now. You back? I don't know. It looks like he's. I can see his webcam, so he's feverishly working on getting connected, but something's going on with him. Um, you know, Carissa, this is kind of like the nirvana of this space, right? The idea that in the cloud, on-premises, we can make traffic um, go where it needs to go, function how it needs to function, and secure it all at the same time, as well as keeping an eye on what's happening within that traffic. Uh, this is kind of like the evolution of these network shaping tools. When you, when you Isn't that what, uh, what we finally looks like we're getting towards? Oh, definitely. And I, the the intelligent traffic management, I just maybe I'll add a tidbit there. Um, obviously, that's where some of the analytics capabilities data, being able to process how all of those different locations are performing and being able to adjust routes on the fly, 
to me, that's some really exciting. The intent-based and self-healing capabilities, but also just the amount of data processing is both of those things I think are pretty cool and pretty exciting. Right. All right, before we move off for this topic, we'll give Ben one more shot, see if he's back up. Ben, can you hear us? I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yeah, you sound good now. Um, do you have okay. thoughts or comments on the app, uh, Citrix app delivery and security <laughs> service? Yes, I think this is going to be awesome. And the reason I think this is going to be awesome is for companies that have a global spread and kind of talking about, you know, being able to get users closer to their technology with these services, because we can just distribute them across the globe into many different pops. We can look at customers that have call centers in the United States, but have people that are servicing those call centers in India or some other foreign country. And we can say, hey, let's put technology on the edge for them let them use local internet to these edge pops and then ride these pops back in. And then the intelligent, uh, the intelligent routing is going to give us the ability to go, Hey, we see this users coming from this region, but we need to route them correctly across. What's the best path to do that? So this is really going to be good for international customers, customers that are, you know, based in different regions and really needing to get that technology closer to the user and take the reliance off a of local internet and start to get them into a commercial backbone and being able to intelligently route that. So I'm very excited to see this come down the path. Yeah. The idea of relying on those uh, router tables sitting all over the place. Um, that's a thing of the past, right? We, we, we know we got to look at the data and what's in the application and the data and figure out the best way to get there. Not just look at whatever roads were put in place and, and logged along the way. Now, the the I'm I'm also kind of seeing this being like the ITM piece, the intelligent traffic management. We've had that on the ADC side, I know, for two or three years now. But you're now starting to see more of this being wrapped into the cloud and being able to deliver this cloud first. And I think that's exciting time too, because you're starting to see more of the portfolio transition from on-prem physical base to now virtual base and getting up in the cloud. And so that's exciting to me as well as you don't necessarily have to sell a black box anymore to get some of these features. And again, it just makes it more uh, reliable, more agile for the customer. And then it gives Citrix a chance to, you know, deploy more markets because we've we're, we're got better technology to be able to do that. Right. It's uh, the, the visual that's coming to me is like, you know, here locally, I use Google Maps to get places, even though I know the way, now, all of a sudden, this starts to allow me to, in the cloud and on-premises, use something like a Google Maps type thing virtually here, not, not actual Google Maps, but to, to figure out how I'm going to get from, you know, one continent to another, um, but also it understanding, you know, kind of the reasons why I'm going from one to another and helping to use that as information for decision making. Mm -hmm. um, all right, Chris, the next section talks about Citrix DAS, Desktop as a Service Innovations. You want to... You want to hit maybe these bullets one at a time? Yeah, sure. We can start out with service continuity. So this one to me is super exciting. Mm -hmm. um, if I think of people, right, I think uh, Ben making the comment about folks looking to go from on-prem to the cloud service is very relevant here. Obviously, a lot of people making that transition, um, but still trying to figure out how do I make sure if I have apps and desktops on premises and I'm using cloud infrastructure in parallel, how do I aggregate and load balance and make sure I maintain connectivity? So service continuity is, is pretty cool. It's not just one thing, right? It's an aggregate of many things as part of the Citrix virtual apps and desktop service. 
So the cool thing here is pretty much from an end user perspective, if for some reason internet service providers down, identity is down, some other cloud service that has a dependency that you need to be able to get to your virtual app or virtual desktop instances, Service Continent actually has the intelligence to uh, cache and encrypt the information that the user needs to connect to that resource, even if something else in the mix is down. Uh, so this is an iterative announcement. We've obviously, we're publicly GA in the, the first step in the journey, but a lot more excitement and enhancements coming with this one. Hey, ben, Bill, any thoughts or comments on this particular topic? Yeah, I think this is, I agree with you, Chris. I think this is a huge one for customers. Um, I know I've, I've managed the consulting team here and they get a lot of, my consultants get a lot of questions from customers about what happens if the cloud goes or the, the control plane goes down or what happens if, you know, if this goes down, how are we going to continue to connect to our resources and service continuity when it was in tech preview, we started talking about it a little bit and customers started reading about it and had lots of questions. Uh, it's nice to see this GA and, and also some of the enhancements that have come around relative to integrating it with Chrome uh, and Edge, uh, some of the things that, they're, that you guys are doing to make it work, not just with the Workspace app, but also with, uh, with browser-based access. Yeah, this is, uh, this is huge for those customers that have those concerns, which really is most of them. Hey, Ben, any thoughts on this topic? Yeah, I think this is uh, this is just a pie that keeps getting better as they add ingredients to it. You know, at first it came out, it was it was very narrow as far as you had to have workspace app on Windows, so you had to have certain I's and T's crossed. But as we're getting into it, I mean they're coming up with the Linux version of it, and they're now able to do it away without workspace or have workspace in it, but can do it from browser based. So they're just expanding the format of this. I think this is going to be really good for customers, especially if they have anxiety with what ifs, you know, and healthcare is big for that. What if something goes down? What's our back door for this? So again, the more they bake this, the better that it gets. And I have not had the opportunity to put this in the wild yet. Uh, I'm looking forward to that, but I'm just glad to see that the model's expanding. So it's not such a restrictive conversation as it was two or three months ago. So, Chris, the next one, which I find very interesting, being an old school uh, Citrix guy, the provisioning services within Azure. I don't necessarily understand where this fits, but uh, tell us what this means and, and why this is important to Citrix uh, customers looking to run desktops or work desktop workloads or app workloads in Azure. Sure. Um, so, you know, Andy, same kind of like the uh, Citrix PVS or provisioning services, we call it like the, the secret sauce, right? If you were doing that image management to rapidly push out those changes to make an update very quick to that kind of golden image, um, a lot of customers were very adverse. It, it becomes, PVS has become so integral to their on-premises deployments that some were hesitant to actually make the transition to the cloud because they felt like they were losing, you know, some of those capabilities. So we're excited that PBS is coming to Azure and then Google Cloud to follow um, from there because it'll give that same kind of capabilities. I also think just like to give a use case scenario, taking the ability to take something that might be in an on-prem dev environment to move it to cloud, to be able to keep consistency across all those environments. And then of course the speed of which you can push things out um, I'll be very, very excited. We have some performance testing and stuff, but their early indicators show that it's actually kind of faster than using the native hyperscalators to do some of the uh, the provisioning. So very excited for that one. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see how that works. I could see where it would be faster and more controllable and certainly more portable. And I guess if you if you take away the potential network challenges we've had historically, it, it might actually make more sense than I'm giving it credit for. Uh, Bill, you've been around PVS for a decade or so. Thoughts? Since they acquired it, yes. Um, the old Sweet Georgia Brown video we all remember, right? Um, yeah, that, this is going to be interesting. I'm, I'm looking forward to, to being able to test and play around with this one a little bit. So I would agree that, uh, Chris, I think there are a lot of folks that have have grown up with PVS and continue to use it, especially larger organizations that have come to rely on it. And I can certainly see why it might have might have reduced their desire to go to the cloud. Um, and this will help with that, I think. But um, there are folks that are that really don't want to use anything but PVS. And I think those will be the ones that will be looking at this first. Uh, so I'm gonna I'm looking forward to being able to test this a little bit, see what it looks like. Ben, I'm, so for me, this one up, I think I think this has a lot to do with what Bill and Carissa said. Just creatures of habit, you know. You got you got administrators that know PBS, love PBS, but PBS does have some advantages, man. Especially when you talk about versioning. And so for me, when I'm having conversation with my healthcare customers, they be they've got to keep up. You know, they just can't update a desktop and then let that roll without some way of going backwards. And PBS is king at that from what I understand. And so the ability to do versioning has kept people with PBS and the ability to go back versions. And I'm excited to see this because again, it takes a barrier out of our conversations with them when trying to get them to cloud. If you're a PBS customer, you depend on PBS for your versioning. We get that. We now can do this in Azure. And as your article says here, it's coming to Google soon. So Creatures of habit, I agree, but I also know some industries that they really want that granular image management that PBS brings. And so I'm excited to see this come because, again, it just takes down another barrier of conversation that we have. Well, and if you're you know, an Azure shop and maybe you have Google as well for your IaaS, you know, now you can take that same image and put it in a PBS environment in both places. Um, maybe that makes it easier. Well, well here, here's the next comment, Citrix image portability. Is that related to this PVS conversation or is that, uh, I think that's another service you guys are coming out with, right? Yeah, it's another service. They're, I would say they're related in the world of image management and kind of cloud migration. Uh, they're not intertwined quite yet, but they may be someday. Uh, just to maybe give you a little high level summer of Citrix image portability. So if I'm running on-premises images, right, and I'm running on a vSphere or a Citrix hypervisor, even a Hyper-V, I've got to have that image configured to run on top of that native hypervisor. I have to have the necessary tools. There's driver mappings that come into play. The minute I want to take that image and move it to a native cloud infrastructure, now I have a new set of configurations and things that I need to make as part of that. So what image portability does, and you know, probably if you think through the the pandemic and all the pressure we had to move people from home, uh, what image portability would let you do is take that native image and actually move it very seamlessly to uh, public cloud infrastructure, auto configure the image so it's going to run optimized for that native hyperscaler infrastructure. And that's kind of the first step is getting it to the cloud, but then you could see it even coming into play if it's um, you know, between cloud locations, I have some folks in the east, some in the west, you know, in my world, in your guys' world, right, we're on hurricane watch through the end of November. If all of a sudden I got to switch over to infrastructure in a different geo, I can do that. And then ultimately down the road, it'll get into multi-cloud, being able to move between clouds as well. 
Yeah, that, I could see that extremely valuable for organizations that uh, that are going to have a multi-cloud approach, like we talked about a little bit so far. Uh, and it sounds like this gives us going to give us two options. One would be the portability service, and the other would be standing up PVS in both environments, maybe tweaking the tools if, if tools are included. Um, Bill, this is probably going to show up in your world. Thoughts? Yeah, I can. I mean, we've got some projects right now that are where folks are migrating from on-prem to cloud, and typically they just build that new. But I can certainly, I can certainly see where this. Well, I know a couple of cases where this would definitely help um, because they've got they've invested a lot in their on-prem image, and they want to move it to Azure. And being able to get that, have a means of getting that image up there without uh, without a lot of hassle, uh, certainly would be a benefit. So I, this is another solid uh, offering. I think Citrix is is uh, coming out with and definitely going to move and move us and making it easier for customers. Ben, have you run into customers? This that takes me, this? Well, this takes me back to the old days of being on prem with ghost and having different machine builds and just the complexity of managing all that. What machine you got to build, what drivers do they need? And you kind of want a Nirvana where you're like, I need one image that does all of this. And so I see this as a godsend to be real honest with you. Let me look at my staff and go, hey, worry about this one image. It doesn't matter where it goes. We can port it to wherever we need it. We now just get to concentrate on this. So from, an, from a, a management administrative level, I think this is going to be a godsend to engineers, and I think they're going to salivate when they really see this in action and go, oh, I can build something and I can send it everywhere. Uh, I'm looking forward to putting this in front of customers and developing a demo on this. So very excited about this. But Aging myself, as Carissa was talking, I was thinking about the old ghost days and, oh, I got a DC 500. Now I got a DC 510 and it's got different drivers. And so, again, it just takes me back to those old days. Everything old is new again. Exactly. <laughs> Same old problem, different way to solve it. Uh, next one is uh, now providing support for Azure VMware solution. I guess, Carissa, that's where you're running a VMware-based solution on top of Azure, uh, Azure Compute, right? Correct. And just taking it, we've done Citrix Ready certification of that in the past, so now kind of moving it to the next level. I will say on uh, that one, a little bit more info and some reference architectures targeted to come out around Microsoft Ignite time. So just maybe as a nod to that one. Um, so uh, the last bullet you have here is integrated Citrix DAS with ServiceNow Virtual Agent. As a Citrix partner who's trying to do more and more with ServiceNow, this this sounds exciting and it sounds similar to what uh, maybe Microsoft's doing on their desktop as a service, uh, empowering the user to make requests from within the desktop itself. Is that, is that what this is? Correct. And actually, you know, maybe to give a little bit more click down into it. So obviously you could go into service now, the ITSM system and enter a ticket, you know, this is happening or something and, and go through the, the manual process of resolving that ticket. This is actually great on both sides. So the service now has a virtual agent, just like you were saying. So now, Andy, with um within the desktop, if I've got that virtual agent, I can actually make a, a comment or remark, you know, if there's something going on with my Citrix virtual app or virtual desktop session, but it actually goes one step farther. So service now will actually make the direct call to the Citrix virtual apps and desktops broker. And it will actually go ahead and for a common set of scenarios, it will actually run through, automatically process that user's request, resolve it, and let the user know it's been taken care of for them. So a lot more automation and integration happening between the two systems. Yeah. Ben, have you run into customers looking for integration with uh, Citrix and ServiceNow? 
I have, Andy, uh, and I need to get back with them and let them know this is coming. They were actually looking to do some micro app stuff with us uh, to get in things in the service now. So this is exciting, and I need to I need to circle back around with them and let them know this is coming. So I'm glad to glad to see this. Bill, I know you've had several customers that we've worked with that we're looking to integrate with ServiceNow. Just another example where you know, Citrix is trying to play along with the industry leader and give people enablement uh, to be part of their own workflows. Oh, yeah, I agree with that. And, and, and what Ben said as well, um, probably need to circle back with these customers and talk about this. So, Carissa, the next section, I'll do a little disclaimer here. Uh, so Citrix and Microsoft and you are... Um, talking earlier about uh, making sure we just kind of stick to what's on the text here because I want to make sure we don't say anything that Microsoft hasn't uh, agreed for us to say yet because I know big things are coming. Uh, I will say that, uh, you know, it was a little interesting when Microsoft announced their Windows 365 and there was no no Citrix related to that. You probably can't go into a lot on that right now, but obviously you two have a long history together. And if you're going to be doing, uh, you know, Windows 365 desktop as a service, uh, sounds like Citrix at some point can help out with that. Uh, Chris, do you want to just cover this topic beyond what I just covered? Yeah, sure. I'm not allowed to deviate much from the text that, that basically says we've worked together for years and we're working together to create a complementary solution. Basically, this announcement was stay tuned, right? When we get a lot more details finalized, obviously, um, we'll circle back and be very excited to share those. Yeah. The other thing that maybe I'll highlight in that announcement, I don't know, Andy, if you want to walk through it kind of in two parts. But um, maybe at a high level, what I will summarize a few other things that's kind of interesting there, but uh, the presence of the Citrix solutions in Azure Marketplace, um, a lot of folks have used or signed up for maybe it's uh, Azure, I think they call it consumption commitment or Azure commitment. So one of the other great things that we, we announced as part of the Citrix and Microsoft partnership is if the customer has those Azure commitments, they can actually leverage those now to uh, purchase the Citrix virtual apps and desktop services. And then, of course, we've done a lot of work regarding our integration with Azure Virtual Desktop. So we have a great new cost paper. We have kind of four different customers that we brought in Forrester to run a total economic impact analysis. And it just really shows the value of integrating Citrix with a native um, Azure Virtual Desktop solution. So a few other key highlights kind of wrapped up in there. Yeah. Well, it just makes sense that you guys will continue to expand upon what Microsoft does and try to round out some of the pieces and, and make it a better solution for customers who've made the investment or thinking about it. Um, all right, last one here, um, Citrix and Nutanix. We've had several podcasts on the Citrix side, on Nutanix side, but um, just kind of highlighting again the idea that you guys are, are partners and see where there's value on both sides to bring to each other. Do you want to cover this? Sure. So again, this is kind of a reminiscent down Citrix path, Citrix history. So Nutanix having, you know, such a huge presence and running underneath so many Citrix um, installations. So pretty much the joint announcement is that, you know, each other's kind of become a preferred solution. So very exciting, very excited to start working with a lot of our friends more deeply over at Nutanix. So this, this has been around for a long time, but we're kind of taking that relationship to the next level. So Ben, Bill, you're welcome to comment on this. We've, we've covered it a decent amount, and both you guys know that Centegra as a partner is a huge fan of the Nutanix Citrix story. Anything uh, you guys would like to highlight on that? No, 
No, I think, uh, you know, I would, I would really just echo what you said, Andy. I mean, you know, <clears throat> Nutanix is a solid platform for Citrix, and I'm glad to see that they're continuing and to, to develop the relationship. Yeah, I can tell you personally, I've spent all morning building out a VMware environment for our, uh, for a customer conference later this week where I'm using that as my hypervisor and my infrastructure. And, um, you know, it's been a lot of, it, it works, it works great. Uh, but there was one key thing I forgot to do and it's been a long time since I've done it. And I just, I cost myself about four hours worth of setup time. Uh, and I'll know next time, maybe if I don't forget again. <laughs> well, um, I think this is just a good market strategy for us to be real honest with you. This, uh, you know, customers that rely on Nutanix got a Nutanix infrastructure looking at Nutanix being part of their future build because they're getting into the cloud environment as well. I think this is just strengthens that partnership and will allow us to be able to service those customers that have made Nutanix part of their solution. So I applaud it, man. I, I, I'm glad to see that we're growing uh, in the different models and clouds that we are. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a world where everybody needs partners. Everybody needs friends. And uh, a lot of these players on the infrastructure side need Citrix to make a great solution. And, and Citrix needs uh, lots of infrastructure plays to make, make their solution work, right. You got to have that uh, execute that, that uh, consumption piece, whether it's in a cloud or whether it's on-premises or hybrid somewhere in between. So it really just makes a lot of sense to take uh, best of breed pieces and put them together where, where you're trying to solve real problems. Um, I think I think it's the commitment to any device, any location, anywhere. I mean, I think that's really what Citrix has touted for years and will continue to tout. And I think that this is the proof in the pudding, you know, that we can do this. Right. And so for customers that have diversity loads, man, look at us because we can get you to about anywhere that you need to be. Right. Yeah, I, I was literally thinking on the way to grab a sandwich a few minutes ago. Somebody asked for me to implement another EUC solution uh, a much lesser EUC solution the other day. And I've been working with the customer in question for a decade or more. And the customer always runs into challenges that even Citrix hasn't solved. And uh, I'm like, I don't know how in the world I'd begin to do that on this very uh, you know, rudimentary level uh, solution that's that's also available to that customer. Part of an entitlement that they have, but it, you, I, we, they would waste more time and money trying to make it work than just than just putting Citrix in the mix. So, Carissa, uh, this last section talks about learn more. I think that's maybe just a promo on more of these topics. Is that true? Yeah, definitely just to try and uh, call some attention to the other Launchpad events that we had. There was one other announcement. It, it's not kind of in there, but just as a reference to um, large-scale implementations that we had with uh, some of our global system integrators, just the scale of which we have implementation so far. So. Uh, one more note there, and then there's a few more kind of follow-up action items you can take. Well, Chris, I appreciate you joining as always. And um, as you write more blogs, we'll certainly have you back on. Love, love having you on. Love your experience, your history, and your passion for the space and Citrix specifically. Oh, surely appreciate it. Really appreciate the invite. Great to get to chat with such a uh, a wonderful crew here today. Hey, ben, before we drop, any uh, any highlights you want to bring up? outside of this? I, I do. I do, Andy. It, it goes to a conversation you and I were having the other day with a, a user's group, and you and I asked them what they wanted to demo, and you and I were thinking the latest and greatest, and they took us 10 years back. You know, They were like, we want to see Citrix Basics. And you and I kind of scratched our heads and were like, we could have had that conversation 10 years ago. We're ready to have a conversation about the products and assets that we have today. 
I think that's one thing that Launchpad's really going to be good for, for, you know, traditional customers is this gives them a mechanism to see what we're doing new and what all products that are coming out that, you know, it's hard to get people to meet these days because people are busy. They're running businesses. They're trying to get tasks done. They're being asked to do more with less. I applaud Citrus for doing this Launchpad because this will give us a way to interact with customers at their own pace and allow them to absorb the new things that we got coming down that we can't do in an hour demo or that we can't do in a, you know, hour users group session. Driving them to this site will really help them absorb of what all Citrix is doing today. And so it, as, as I look through the content of this, it kind of took me back to that moment, that meeting where you and I were like, let's show you the new. And then we discussed that a lot of our traditional customers might not know what all the new is or how they can take advantage of it. Launchpad will give them the way to be able to do that at their own pace without pressure of a sales rep or an engineer sitting behind them. So listeners, get out there, absorb this. If you always got any questions, reach out to us directly. But I'm excited for this series and excited to see more come down the pipe because I do think it's geared towards helping our customers comprehend what all Citrix has going on today. You know, it's a it's a challenge for me, and it comes back to this conversation that we're having somewhat now, and, and also the conversation you and I had the other day. If you're a, a real Citrix consultant, engineer, administrator, you got to think about the old stuff and what they're doing new to the old stuff, and you also have to put on a different hat and look at mm-hmm. what the new stuff is, and try to and try to interact the two as well as keep them separate so you can keep your learning. The, the, it's all moving so fast, um, and a lot of that old stuff's not you know it's not dead; it continues to evolve. And involve in evolving good ways that um, add value to the legacy solutions that uh, are still very relevant. Hey, Bill, you've seen, lived, been through all that. Um, got probably ten more years before you call it quits. You up for the challenge? I'm up for the challenge, Andy. I wouldn't be here if I weren't. But uh, no, I, I I would echo a lot of what Ben said. I attended all three of the Launchpad events. I found them very informative. Um, obviously they, they spur questions by customers. And when those customers have questions, one of the things they can do is listen to this podcast to try to get a little bit more detail on, on what's been, what's been discussed as well as hear from folks like Carissa, um, to help explain some of these elements, um, and then spur interest to go further, to go deeper and and engage our sales resources and our sales engineers. So it's a win-win all the way around. I think it's a great series and I hope they continue it. But that said, I also hope that we will get back at some point in addition to this, to the in-person summits and, and synergies, I, I really think those have great value to the to the user base and to the partners and to Citrix uh, as an organization. So I'm hopeful we can get back to that, if not next year, then maybe then the year after. But um, I do think the launch pads are a great a great way to get information out to customers. And I applaud Citrix for, for developing it and continuing to do it. Yeah. Well, with that, guys, thank you. Carissa, thank you again. And uh, we'll look forward to having you uh, on and joining us at another time. Thanks, everybody. See you guys. Thank you.